Okay, welcome. Sorry, I actually was a minute late there. There is a protest going on down the street level. There is. I have no idea what they're protesting. What's happening in Albany that needs to be stamped out? (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot of nonsense, actually, that happens. We're actually um, two blocks from the giant governor's mansion uh, in the whole big Empire State Plaza thing. So, like, but this is not there. Like, a lot of times they have, like, the big realville protests uh, on the steps of the governor's mansion and stuff like that. But this one's just, like, in front of a building. You know what I mean. It's not the governor's mansion. It's the Capitol building. They're just sort of Carl's standing there. Sinister, in a sinister fashion, yelling. There's no inflatable rat or anything on there, is there? No. I don't think so. So, uh... How's it going? Yeah, so how are things going? Vin, uh, you've been soaking in the compositional stuff? I'm ready for month two, man. Waiting. You you emailed me a very you, you're already ready. It's gonna be a while, man. You gotta drill down. You gotta like study. Drill down. I do it again. Okay. Yeah, it's good. They're they're awesome so far. I would do I would again study it up. And there's homework too. Like, did you do your homework? Which was uh, some of it. Yeah, yeah. I do that stuff all the time, though. Like setting tunes and stuff like that. I I'm doing that all all the time. But uh, you know, definitely like sort of That's mapping good. out mapping out the tunes, you know, for their chords and stuff is pretty cool. It's, uh, you know, it's stuff you sort of have in the back of your head. Like, as you, you know, you pick up so a lot of stuff. So you asking me about... But you don't really, uh, you don't really... Uh, yeah, it's just, know. I think uh, the course is good. We've got, like, a delay happening, Yeah, I there's think. a big delay, I think. Communicationally challenged. That's okay. I was going to say, so um, your question about the E minor versus the E major chord, did you figure out what you were looking at? I did. I did. I I think I answered my own question. It was a little confusing because I think in the videos it doesn't explicitly say all of that. You just sort of, you know, talk about it as you're talking about stuff that's uh, happening. Um, So it's I sort of like sort of missed it or something, and it was a little confusing to me. But um, not being formally trained in theory, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. E minor, the E minor chord is fairly rare. Uh, e minor chord is going to be fairly rare, um, unless it's like clearly already in the key of E minor, like a tune that starts off with lots of Bs, Es, and high Gs, or low Gs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and otherwise, if you see that combination later in a tune, it's usually uh, part of a 1-4-5 progression, Right. An A major, where you're actually looking at an E major chord, where the G's are omitted altogether because that would not jive, uh, because right. we actually need a G sharp. Well, how do you, how do you then re- right. reconcile a tune That's like Little looking Cascade? At large amount of the time. Well, Little Cascade is definitely in the key of E minor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, based on how it starts, right? It starts with a B and E and a G natural, right? That's the opening phrase. Uh, and the tune is very much in uh, E minor. However, one of the interesting things about Little Cascade is some of the parts are actually move to a G major progression. Um, uh, I would say, 
at least that's, I, I can't remember which parts, but we've actually, you know, arranged that in interesting ways where, um, you know, from E minor, the relative major chord to E minor is G major. Um, and so some of the parts aren't strictly in E minor. And of course, that's allowed. You can, um, you know, have parts that are in different chords. But G major is definitely a part of that family. The family of yeah, chords. Yeah. It's cool. Good stuff. Stuff. E in E minor, the E minor chord, right? Or the E minor scale even is the relative minor to G major. It has the same number, mm. which is which is one. Yeah, it's interesting that you know, like G. S. McLennan and and other guys of his of his era were like real were close friends with a lot of the fiddlers that were uh, making the rounds as well. Like, you know, J. Scott Skinner and, and others who were like big time players and he probably talked all the time and threw things at each other uh, as well. So they have that, you know, here you have on one side, you have what would be considered classically trained musicians playing, playing Scottish music on the fiddle. And then you have bagpipers who even then weren't really classically trained unless they sought it out. Um, you know, so it's interesting. Yeah. I have a hundred, that the fiddle players provided a lot of the uh, provided a lot of the underlying theory that we see in a lot of that music, right? I mean, there's an amazing like an amazing purity of music theory um, in, like you say, some of G.S. McLennan stuff, and then especially John McClellan of Danoon. Like, there's some real magic that fits like really, really elegantly into the body of music theory. But there, you know, I don't know anything about his history as to whether or not he was trained. But if he wasn't classically trained, my guess is he hung out with people that were, mm. um, at least enough to, to to get to that point subconsciously. Um, and then I have another thought I was going to spout off on, uh, but I don't remember that, what I was going to say. So, cool. Okay, let's hit some of these unanswered questions. Um, First one, Les says, no sound, are you on? Can you hear us, Les? And Les hears. First question. <laughs> yes, we are on. Yep. Okay. That was easy. Next question. All right. So question number one. Albert says, I am still a beginner. When on my bagpipes, I can play for about five to ten minutes before my chanter read begins squeaking. I am using, quote, easy reads, any suggestion? Deep. William says, no. get a stronger read. <laughs> William says, get a stronger read. Well, I don't know if that's so much what I would... Um, yeah, I would not recommend necessarily getting um, a stronger read. I think that, um, especially for a beginner, there's no need to start ratcheting up how much strength is required to play your instrument. Well, I think what we need to do is, and again, this is a generalization, and, and um, Albert, you can tell me if you think this might apply to you, but I think the issue is, if it's true that it's squeaking, um, the issue is probably that you're starting to lose control uh, over the, the coordination once you start to get a little bit tired. You think that's a fair thing to say? Like, do you also start to get tired after five to ten minutes? 
or not. That might not be true. Or maybe maybe you, you're finally feeling sort of loosened up yeah, and warmed and, up. And then you start, you start, and then your fingers minutes. start shifting around, and your body's moving, and you know maybe your fingers aren't covering the holes a little bit uh, as as completely as they were at the beginning, and it's all that kind of stuff right. that sort of works. It's deadly magic. It, it could go either way. I think you need to evaluate, right? Like, for example, when I go out and exercise, which I try to do regularly, um, the first 10 minutes really stink and, like, I'm totally not in the mood and I don't have energy. And then my body comes alive a little bit and then it starts to become easier. Mm. Um, but then there's the other side of things. Is maybe, especially for a beginning piper, you can get really tired from 5 to 10 minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would maybe suggest looking is that Robert says he's, he's tiring, but he's... Yeah, he, he begins squeaking. I would say, you know, to take a look at how wet things are. You might be uh, throwing a little bit more moisture into the into the whole system than than maybe you know you want to. So when the reason's getting too wet, it's it's going to do that too. So um, I don't know, maybe a water trap or something like that, just to catch your sort of nervous spittle <laughs> or something. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think what's most likely going on here, in my experience, is um, that you're starting to overkill, you're starting to overkill the reed, the squeaks and squawks, and contrary to popular belief, right, bagpipes should not be hard, right, they should not be hard, as a matter of fact, uh, you, you should develop a pretty natural rhythm with the blowing and the squeezing, and the transitions in between the two. Um, and it, it, that's something that it, it requires a sort of strength in order to achieve that sort of smoothness and flow. Um, and so I would recommend just practicing, trying to stay relaxed, uh, making sure all your fingers are properly covering the holes. Okay, and just squeaking is usually caused by overkilling. Now, uh, there are there are a bunch of things that could make what I just said not true. For example, if the reed is damaged in some way, uh, or Vin was also mentioning, if it's totally soaking wet, it could start to misbehave. So you have to use common sense as well. We lost Vin. Hopefully Vin is the reason that the audio was delayed and maybe he'll come back and it'll sound good. So yeah. It's like anything, right? It's like riding a bike. You know, riding a bike is a classic analogy, right? It's something that requires coordination to do. And at first, it t seems to take like a lot of strength and it seems to be really hard and seems to take a lot of focus. And then things start to click in the more you do it. And once you realize that actually relaxing is the way to go. Les says, if it squeals on A or G, perhaps it's worn out. Okay, it could be worn out, but try and hear what I'm saying here, which is for a beginner like Albert, it's really important to learn how to properly blow the reed, regardless of whether or not that reed may or may not be, quote, over the hill, right? Squeaking on low A and low G is usually a simple indication that overblowing is occurring. And we need to learn how to find the sweet spot and blow steadily at that sweet spot. It may be that 
the read um, you, that if you replace the read, you could come out with something a little bit better. But I don't think we need to rush. I don't think we need to rush into that as a beginner. What we need to do is just continue to work on the fundamentals of of blowing steady. If it's a good read, that's too. my main I mean, point. The other, the other thing, I mean, it's hopefully it's a it's a newish read and it's performing adequately. It's not sort of a, a used <laughs> black thing that somebody gave you in a you know. Even if it is used, uh, yeah, yeah. There's like no hope. At if some it's point. a terrible read, that's in awful shape. Yeah. If it's a terrible read that's in awful shape, you should get a new one. But if it is, you know, if it's a reasonably decent sounding read, then you got to go, you just got to learn, learn balance like the karate kid in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I just did a karate kid. Uh... <laughs> oh, they're still protesting to their credit. They haven't given up yet. Uh, three different real reads. Well, there you right. go. Make sure, you know, obviously when you stop and reset. Yeah. Yeah. Stopping and restarting still happening. Um, so that's a pretty good indication that um, that you lack the full coordination that you need there at this point. And I, and I think it's important that you learn that coordination. You could just throw in a harder read and see what happens, but I don't know how much you learn from that. I don't know how much uh, skill you develop with that approach. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, especially if you're able to For go example, five or ten minutes with it. I know? don't play. I don't play much beyond. Yeah, I was just going to say um, I don't play much beyond easy strength read uh, in my solo pipe setup. Right, I'm capable of playing a harder read. Like in the band, I play a medium to hard strength read, um, but um, but the strength of the read isn't the underlying thing here. If I overblow on my easy-ish solo read, it's going to squeak to high heavens. It's a matter of you know learning to sense where the sweet spot of the read is and actually coordinating your blowing and squeezing to that point. And frankly, there are some intermediate and even some pipers bordering on advanced that maybe don't fully understand. Uh, or haven't fully developed yet. So it's something that takes time. Next question. Is it a bad idea to wet the reed with my saliva? How much saliva are we talking uh, about? In the... I think he's asking about his own saliva on the read and what I would say in the spirit of April Fool's Day is yes it's very bad to put your saliva on your read because there's little alien insects in your saliva that break down the read and cause it to, it actually starts to form something like an oboe read which doesn't really work well and, and it causes extreme uh, de, what do they call it? Uh, decomposition, right? But uh, anyway, my now now the non-April Fool's version is it's totally fine to wet the reed with some saliva. I don't recommend um, leaving it in a bucket of saliva overnight. Um, I don't recommend licking the reed like a trillion times an hour. But I will often lick the reed. I will often lick the reed when I first start playing, just to, just to sort of quick start it, 
And then just remember, once your bagpipe takes on a natural level, level of moisture from your breath, there should be no need to lick the reed at that point. Um, and so the natural moisture um, can be can be a good tool. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the reed just, any reed will just not work properly unless it has some moisture in it. So whether you're putting it down there in the beginning with your saliva or letting it build up in your pipe, um, it's up to you. But yeah, you should be, you should be good either way. It's almost like lube, it's almost like, it's not, it's not a really perfect metaphor, but it's kind of like oil lubrication in an engine, right? Like all these pieces of the engine don't operate unless they're properly lubricated. And reeds are kind of the same way. Like you can get a sound out of a reed without moisture, uh, but the moisture is really what brings the nice tonal quality and that nice color and smoothness to the sound, which is one of the reasons why moisture control systems are so dangerous is because they can very easily lead to a completely dry system uh, that produces a very harsh, uh, inharmonic sound. Yeah. Back in the day, if you went to your yeah. local pipe shop, you know, before the reeds were pretty good, um, you would go through a box of reeds and try to find the good ones, right? Uh, these days, most of the reeds are pretty good out of the shop, um, but you know, used to have a hot box of reeds and then you just go, and so when the proprietor's back is turned, you just stick them in your mouth and you got to like lick them all to get them to work right because you can't just blow it and expect it to work out of a box. So you got to, you got to put some moisture in it. And so, you know, that was a dirty little secret. You go to the pipe shop and it's like every box of reeds is going to have somebody like six people spit all over them <laughs> by the time you buy them, you know? Yeah. Here's a great trick on that topic, right? On the topic of picking out reeds and licking. Uh, now, granted, it helps if they're your reeds. So, um, you know, just be mindful if you're at someone's bagpipe shop. But the, one of the great ways I select reeds, I do a little cycle because um, it actually takes a little bit of time for any moisture you apply to a reed to fully integrate um, into the cane. So I do, let's say I have a dozen reeds. I actually will take each reed, I'll apply some saliva to the very tip of the reed and then I'll put it down and then I'll just apply saliva in the same exact way to all 12 reeds and put them in sequence and then I'll go back to the first one once I'm done licking them and so it's had let's say 30 seconds to soak in the saliva and then you get a truly realistic sound of what the reed's really going to do right um, and, um, and then you can go on down the line and sort of hear what that's like. Les says, so when a reed starts to collapse after 20 to 30 minutes, is it getting too damp? It depends. What do you mean by collapsing? You mean the funny F sound that you get? Or are you referring to something else? Is your like, IG like not playing at that point? becomes nearly impossible to play. What I'm not sure what that means. Like you can't get a sound out of it when you blow or squeeze? For me, for me, collapsing means that the um, notes become severely unstable, and then some of the notes like F actually sound an entirely different pitch from F. Yeah, which, yeah. Uh, and it's sort of like it has that threshold where it, it does that. That's what collapsing means to me. But 
just no air gets through it. Almost no air gets through it. I don't know. No, man. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you need a hard what cause that. I've never <laughs> heard of that. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, reads are pretty, they're pretty um, predictable, right? If you have good reads and you're buying good brands, um, they should behave the same way across, even across brands. I mean, there's not too much mystery there. I mean, you know, if, if it's the right strength, it should perform well. And if you're chosen it properly, it should just do what it's supposed to do. It'll take a little bit of moisture. It'll be good for a while. And then when it has too much, you'll start, it'll get unstable. And then some of the notes will come out of tune. And then you'll realize it's time to sort of, you know, these put it away or dry it out or whatever. Um, you know, it is possible to overplay them, you know, if you're, especially if yeah. you're a particularly wet blower, um, it'll, it'll, it'll reach its limit, you know, but I mean, it doesn't mean that that just means you need to like give it a rest and then you go back to it the next time and it'll be fine. You know, um, it just, you just have to gauge that kind of stuff, but it shouldn't stop playing <laughs> and it shouldn't yeah, squeak. So to summarize, you know? so like, there's other things going on, you know? Yeah. I agree. Hey, I'm going to sign off real quick and come back and see if maybe I can get rid of this delay. Hang on a second. Yeah, it's driving me a little nuts as well. Yeah. But, um, In the meantime, so. we can um, we can cover the question there about the Gibson Fireside Reeds um, because I own a set of those. You do? Um, and I so have never played them, honestly, to the, in all this The question time. here was... Oh. I, I, I really enjoy my set. I, I play them all the time. Um, so Tony asks, I have a set of fireside, Gibson Firesides and having trouble play, uh, getting the bass drone to tune. Any ideas? Yes, and I just discovered this uh, idea recently, and that is that uh, you can take a rubber band, like a reed band, um, just like you would on a practice channer, and... Uh, adjust that on on the base read they're, they're essentially the reads that they use in the drones and the firesides they're essentially gibson practice channel reads that are slightly longer or slightly shorter depending on um their, their purpose but their design is exactly the same so put a little rubber band on that and that's that usually fixes any trouble that you have with that that my trouble with the base was it was always tuning too flat I couldn't get it sharp enough to be stable and it was taking too much air and all of those things were corrected very quickly um, with a, a rubber band. Um, and yes, correct, Tony, on the base reed, not the channel reed. And you can actually put it on any one of the, the, the reeds um, uh, in the drones in, if, they're too, if they take too much air or not enough air. Um, you, that, that gives you a little bit more adjustment and it also adjusts it if it's too flat um, so, uh, something to consider there that, that usually does the trick completely with, um, with those reads. So <laughs> there goes the cat cross fins. Uh, yeah. There goes the cat again. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'd recommend with the Gibson firesides. Um, a, a little dental rubber band usually does the trick and, uh, yeah, I absolutely love my fin. I play them all the time. Uh, they just kind of sit together 
uh, on a bookshelf and I pull them off, play for 30 minutes and set them back up there. They're, they're a dream. It's really, really fun. Again, is that like a... I don't know if I've had any success. Uh, it might be your internet connection, I think. Carl was like pausing and cutting out and so were you before, so I don't know. I thought it was me. That's why I did it. I um, I'm, I strongly dislike Time Warner Cable. Um, and we used to have Verizon, and now we don't anymore, so... Oh, um, really? Okay. Anyway, mm -hmm. I digress. Um, there's another question. What microphone is best for recording bagpipes? Mm. Yeah. Vin, I'll leave this one to you. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's a, it, most of the recorders that you would use, like a Zoom, you know, the H4, the H2, uh, or even the Q2, the video one, um, have microphones that are perfectly adequate. And they can be used as microphones for other stuff. You don't have to actually record to the device. You can use it as a microphone to record to, to your computer, too. Um, and it is perfectly suitable for those purposes. And, and the mics are actually pretty good. Um, I, I have a... Um, condenser mic which I use to record uh, my podcast my voice on the podcast and I tried to use it for bagpipes and it's it's actually too good you know it, it's too sensitive and it doesn't really you have to put it like three rooms away <laughs> to get a decent uh, a decent like low impact recording um, so I, I think it's just a matter of finding something that's you know used to I would say you know your first guy would be to find something that can that is used for recording acoustic music you know and that, that other musicians would use to record their sessions in whatever instrument they're playing. Because that's that's going to be a microphone that's designed to pick up um, and reduce impact and, and not have any reverb and things like that. Most of the commercial mics you buy for voice aren't adequate and uh, are just too, you know, just won't, won't do the job, you know. And that said, I sent my Mac yeah. microphone. Well, we used your Q2 to <laughs> record you know. band practice, right? Uh, yeah, well, I had uh, I had my Zoom H2, and I think uh, Caitlin had her Q2, so they were both the same. You know, basically, I think they use the same mic technology. It's not like there's anything different there, but um, and it's it's perfect for bagpipes. It's I mean, the mic is designed to record loud acoustic music, you know, so it's it's got the proper uh, you know parts <laughs> to reduce impact and not respond to like heavy duty music, you know. You know what I find is a lot of people buy recorders and never bother to learn how to use them. Do you find that? Yeah, I guess so. I, I, yeah, I, like you just sort of flip it on, it should work, right? That's what everybody does, you know, without actually thinking about, like, what you're supposed to do, you know. Um, anything you buy is going to have all kinds of settings and yep. adjustments and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, the big thing with bagpipes is, they're very loud, or they're very loud and super rich in, in sound. Um, and so you need to be able to adjust the input level of the microphone so that it doesn't overwhelm the system, so to speak. So mm -hmm. you, you need a way to turn down the gain, you would say, of the microphone in order to capture it in a way that it doesn't totally distort. And I think that's where a lot of people... Um, who have good recorders, that's where a lot of people do miss the boat. You can still get a terrible sound on a great microphone if you don't understand. And then on the flip side of things, you can get a decent sound 
out of like an iPhone or, a, you know, other completely commonplace uh, microphones and recorders um, by um, hacking ways to get the, um, the game down. Like, like I tell some of my students, just use your iPhone and put like a pillow or a pile of T-shirts on top of it. Um, and that will, you know, exactly. that will cut out a lot of the volume so you can get a perfectly decent sound on a crappy microphone. Yeah, I had a, a, I saw a hack recently. Uh, somebody actually built a, a, a microphone that would plug into your iPhone for that purpose, like to record. He was a drummer and he wanted to record his drumming and all he had was his iPhone. So he literally hacked a microphone using you know, some watch batteries and a couple of like, you know, microphone parts you can get online and created a little mic that was, uh, had the gain that he needed. Like it, it, it reduced the impact and he could record, it could filter the sound enough to record better on his iPhone. Um, which, is, which is a little going a little further than your normal uh, pillow idea. <laughs> yeah. you know you need soldering skills to do that. You know. Yeah, but yeah, but those are the kinds of lengths you have to go to to get a decent result, right? Uh, That's what most people don't do when they actually make, take videos of pipe bands. They just sort of like pop up their iPhone and like record the thing and think it's okay, and it's never okay, <laughs> you know. Um. Here's a good question. Where exactly in the mouth should one's blowpipe go? Between which teeth? How far in? I'm working on transitioning from being a side of mouth blower to a center mouth blower. Uh, Mary, that's good to hear. I used to be a side mouther, and then uh, I became a center mouther at some point. Um, and uh, oh, life is so much better as a center mouther. Yeah. You gotta you gotta figure out where where the strongest grip uh, on your lips but, are gonna be, I guess, and put it there. You know, if it's some some people have, you know, I know I knew a guy who had um, face paralysis, you know, and he uh, he played out of the side of his mouth because he had to. That was the only way, you know, his mouth his face worked. <laughs> you know, so you, it's gonna be different, you know, depending on your own physical makeup, I guess. Yeah. Why is center mouth better? Well. In my case, um, center mouth was better just because Jack Lee didn't make fun of me as much. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that means something. There you go. It's basically, you can't go wrong if you're going to listen to Jack, I guess. Uh, yeah, in general, in general, the center mouth, I think, looks a lot better. And, and I think it gives you a lot more... Uh, it gives rip of the mouthpiece once once you build those muscles. It's going to feel pretty weird at first if you're transitioning from a side mouth blower to center, uh, but the muscles definitely come together. There, it's very very difficult to like try or control the side of your mouth, and so you know it ultimately gives you a, a lot less risk of losing your lips or. You know, blowing raspberries, as they say. Yeah. Side yeah, mouth now, blowing and, might and, be worse for know, the teeth. Center mouth blowing is bad for teeth too. Um, it and, is definitely uh, bad for teeth, and I'll tell you why. Because I, I have to actually have an appointment with a with a dental surgeon because my teeth are flexible on the top and bottom from biting the mouthpiece. And uh, yeah, it's that's that's years of uh, biting the mouthpiece, yeah. which is probably not a good idea. You got to sort of balance, you know. Um, your grip on that blow stick, you know, to, for, you know, between your lips and your teeth. So you're not like chomping down on it like I used to do. 
um, for a long time, you know. So now I have to like worry about my teeth falling out because <laughs> my mouthpiece too hard, you know. So yeah, hey, amen. Martina points out in in a way that I'm sure it's meant to be like, you know, um, just informational that the mouth is a sphincter muscle apparently, and in the middle of the of said sphincter, it is the strongest. Which is probably entirely true. I don't know why I'm having trouble. I know a lot of people whose mouths are sphincter muscles. That is for sure. (laughs) Or vice versa, too. I know a bunch of people. All they seem to, a bunch of people. All they seem to say is crap. Anyway, you know. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. (laughs) You should hear that crap that comes out of some people. Anyway, Um, let's see. Uh, yes, Lynn, good point. I was just about to mention this. Rubber mouthpiece protectors do work well. I never did that for years and years. In the past couple years, I have started to use the rubber things. Um, and it just, you can tell it's so much better for your teeth. Your jaw doesn't hurt as much when you're done playing. Um, you know, and when I would play a lot, I would get headaches. And I'm convinced it was partially because, you know, my jaw got all locked up. Even that little bit of give that those latex mouthpiece protectors give um, seems to seems to help a lot. Yeah, I, I tried the round. I tried oval. I went to oval because my teeth were hurting, and uh, now I got like now because there's a greater surface area for my teeth on up on top and bottom. I have to I bite even harder now, so like more teeth are affected. You know, it's kind of a sort of a double-edged sword there, but um, yeah. I'm going to go with round on this one. But I, I don't know. I haven't tried oval for a prolonged period of time, but like the oval. just a round oval guy. is great. Yeah, oval's great. Round can be difficult because it's, uh, you know, diff- depending on the mouthpiece you have. If you have one of the standard ones, the small size is pretty good. But other these other ones like Airstream and these other older sort of adjustable ones have a, a large opening, so it can get pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, Carl, what's our trick for getting those latex things on mouthpiece? I think I just boil water, put the latex in there, um, boil that stuff up really, really nice and hot, nah. take it out, and then just work it on. That's nah. what I do. No no boiling. Um, that, that's way too much work. Uh, literally, usually all that you need is just to get both pieces wet and take a dry cloth, um, like a towel, and twist it on. That's usually enough. If it's really tight then put a drop of, of mild dish soap in that water and, and then, again, use a dry cloth and just twist it right on. It keeps it from stretching. It keeps it from uh, boiling. It is going to make it a little less. Um, it won't last as long that way. So, uh, yeah, dry and dry doesn't work, but if you dry the outside and twist it on that way, I can, I can do 100 of them in two minutes, and, and it's super easy. So that, that's usually the best way. Wow. Get both pieces, the, the mouthpiece and the rubber, uh, wet on the inside, and then a dry cloth on the outside, bam, and it goes right on. And, yeah. 100 that, is a lot that's of what, That's what I would use. I wouldn't boil anything. Or, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we run a backpack factory here in case yeah. you didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, move that stuff out. 
there's a sweatshop in the back. <laughs> oh, that's what those protesters are protesting about. It's our sweatshop. Working conditions in Dojo, Piper's Dojo. Does it get nasty underneath those things? Don, that's a question. I don't think I want to know. I don't think it does. It's things are silicone, so it's not really, they don't, they, you know, produce bacteria or encourage growth anyway. I, yeah, Sarah, I definitely don't go an inch in with the mouthpiece. I think it would be like half an inch maximum. Maximum. An inch seems like a lot. And then, yeah, past my front teeth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that said, I mean, I would say, like, if you're, if you're worrying about where to put the mouth stick, uh, you know, the blow stick, you know, I have to think about how you're standing as well. Make sure you're not sort of, like, moving your head around if it's not the right length for you. You know, if, you, if you're having trouble putting it in the center of your mouth, it might be too long. So you might want to adjust the length there. So you always figure you have to be standing straight and facing forward, and wherever that blow stick's going to end up, it's either it might be too short if it's in the corner or too long if it's if you have to shift your head a little bit to get it into the corner, I mean, to get it into the center. So something to think about as well. Mm. Mm. All right, where are we at here? The whole sphincter thing turned me off on the blow stick, so let's see. <laughs> no one talk about putting anything in your mouth anymore. Oh, Ashby went to the USPBA site, searched it carefully, and didn't find anything about how to march. Can we t let's talk about how to properly march in a solo competition. How to march. It's all very military, right? That's that's the whole sort of MO behind marching. Um, you know. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting without, thing. Yeah, it's hard it, to talk about without showing you, you know? <laughs> yeah, the way to do it is to just go to YouTube and find, like, like what, if, what happens if I YouTube? I'll see if I can find a link for you guys. But, like, what if I YouTube, like, Angus McCall... March. Yeah, you could find, I mean, if you, well, you I mean, go look you know, at some of like, you know, Edinburgh Castle videos and stuff and see those military bands march around, that's, that'll do it for you right there, I think. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, you don't need to be too militaristic about it either. Um, William McCallum. I'm trying to find one of... Yeah, it's really just about, like, walking comfortably these days, anyway. If you're just a solo pipe or even a pipe band, you're, just, you're really just walking. So it's, it's really just about, um, you know, some bands focus more on the military sort of synchronization aspect of it and will sort of get into the formation parts. But, uh, you know, it really is about just what your stride is 
what comfortable stride you have when you're marching to whatever march you're marching to. Um, you know, I mean, and that's, and I think that's an important thing. So you don't want to take too big a step. You don't want to take too small a step. You want to be able to adjust it on the fly if you have to, you know. What's going on with my camera? <laughs> well, let's see. I'm finding some interesting, uh, interesting YouTube videos here. <laughs> Here's another good one. So there's like three good, there's three good videos. And just have a look at how they march. You know, how are they marching? And um, what you would do would be somewhat similar to, to what they're doing. Yeah, we, we don't want to march at 120 beats per minute. Oh, yeah, we don't want to watch. Yeah, the have other issues they have to. It's true. So look, um, most of the questions have been exercised here. So let's venture towards wrapping this thing up. Are there any final thoughts? Wrap it up for today. Everybody, the delay is killing me today. It's good reads. Putting their blow sticks in the right place. Marching can be a, a little bit like a little bit like chewing gum and you know, or walking at the same time, or patting your head and rubbing your stomach or something like that for a while until you get you know sort of habitual at it. Um, you just have to. Keep keep doing it. Don't think about it. You know, you don't have to think about walking whenever you go anywhere, so don't think about it. Joey wants to know about the mechanics of blowing. Joey, we've got a lot of classes at Dojo U pertaining to that, um, and uh, with with demonstrations. Then we've got an entire course on that as well in our transitioning to the bagpipes course. So um, I did see that. Yeah, I don't know how we could demonstrate that today, unfortunately. No, I don't know if anybody's done a study on how many calories you burn while playing. I do know, you know, you work pretty hard. <laughs> I think studies have been done, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, do you put your mouthpiece past your teeth? I think my mouthpiece sort of rests on my teeth a little bit, um, but it doesn't go much further past yeah, teeth. Yeah, I think that's why I was questioning a full inch. Yeah, that's a lot. Beyond the teeth doesn't. Mine is doesn't seem like right. a quarter of an inch. I have like the teeth marks, you know, the little sort of wear marks on my blows. It's literally like a quarter of an inch past the tip. It's not a lot. Just enough to keep it in your mouth, you know. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there for today, folks. And of course, um, you know, we'll, we'll be back next week with another great topic and deeply into this stuff. You know, um, there's loads and loads of material on Dojo U about all this stuff. So do check it out. I think it's worth the 15 bucks a month. And, uh, you know, um, you could even have a free trial just to kind of check it out and 
Yeah. You can cancel it if you want to. Work you up, way up to composers. But I digress. That's right. Composers Club. It's where the heavy hitters go. That's right. I'm still All right, everybody. We will page. see you next week. <laughs> really, it's not working? It's not working, no. Yeah, something's fishy with that. It works perfectly fine for me. Really? I don't know what the deal is. You have to invite me or something? But, uh, I'll sign in. I'll need to sign in on someone else's computer and try it is what I need to do. Cool. Um, but, yeah. All right. Well, have a good day, all. All right. We'll see you later, everybody. <laughs>